Dr. Peter Skies is the owner and clinical director of Sky Integrative Health Center, Sky Functional Neurology, and co-owner of Brain Balance Centers of Atlanta. Uh, he specializes in clinical neurology, nutrition, and rehabilitation for children with neurobehavior and developmental disorders, including ADHD, Asperger, autism, dyslexia, learning disability, and others. We are going to talk more about Dr. Skaya's achievements later on. Hello, Dr. Skaya. Hello, it's great to be here. Yes, I'm so excited to have you with us because I've wanted to have, the, to have this podcast for really a long time. So first of all, I like asking, how did you reach the field of functional neurology? Sure. I mean, it really started out with my own personal journey. I mean, I actually am a... I actually had a childhood where I had a learning disability um, that was uh, diagnosed early on in my life, probably around three or four years old. My mother you know, had realized I was struggling to learn. Um, initially, a lot of the, the clinicians thought I may have suffered from ADHD, but my mother insisted that it really wasn't like an, an intentional problem or hyperactivity or impulsivity that was really more about my inability to learn uh, and really, and ultimately it came down to like a learning disability, not as much like a dyslexia per se, but more like a reading disability, um, a, a spelling disability. I actually was pretty good in math, um, but it was really more like a, a reading disability per se. And, and so, um, you know, my mom, like many parents um, at that time, you know, um, probably we're talking about, this is about early eighties, um, you know, no internet, no, you know, anything like that, really tried to find some people that were, you know, looking at this at a different perspective, because at the time, most of it was the function of ADHD treatment, let's put children on Ritalin, um, and my mom knew that obviously medication wasn't the route that she felt needed to go, so she found some really super awesome speech-language pathologists, some, some people at my elementary school that were doing cool work in kids with learning disabilities, but then really came across some early pioneers in the field of chiropractic that were actually doing some work in brain rehabilitation. So combination of brain rehabilitation from the chiropractic world to also working with a special educator who would literally come to my house in the summertime and, and, and work with me and, and my speech language pathologist. Um, yeah, I went from a child who on initial achievement tests was probably around the five or 10 percentile, um, had to repeat first grade to by the time I got to fifth grade that I was actually at around the 80, 85 percentile academically, um, so much so that they thought I could actually repeat my um, or gain my grade back. Um, the school district didn't want to do that. So the compromise was to put me in academically gifted classes and see how I would do. And um, ended up graduating in the top 20 of my, of my graduating class of 400 students in high school, went to a, a really good, strong private school here in the United States. Wow. Um, and so because of chiropractic being such a part of my life, um, I really knew at some point I was either gonna be a chiropractor or an orthopedic surgeon. And um, I got the shadow both when I was in high school and the more I learned about chiropractic, because my first aspect of chiropractic was obviously on the developmental side, but then I used it athletically. 
Um, but one of my chiropractors I was working with also was doing some neurology work. And so I really learned that the basis of chiropractic education is neurology. And yeah. then when I got to Life University here in Atlanta in 1997, um, I was very fortunate that um, I realized that there was a lot more about neurology than what I even thought. And that's when I, um, around 1999, came across um, the Chiropractic Neurology Diplomate Program. That is the program that, um, that only about one or two percent of the whole entire chiropractic field worldwide gets and does. Um, so I did that. I started that program in um, early part of 2001. And then I completed that program by the end of 2004. Um, and at that point, I would started hearing about um, a specific chiropractic neurologist that had been practicing for, for a good 15 years at that point who was working with children and was really specializing in, in the treatment of or developing novel treatments for ADHD and autism and, and this learning disabilities. Um, and it was Dr. Robert Malolo. Mm -hmm. um, so he had published a textbook at the end of 2004, his textbook called um, a textbook of um, childhood neurobehavioral disorders and evolutionary perspective that came out in the um, fall of 2004. And it just turned out that he was doing a, uh, a launching of teaching in 2000, um, in, sorry, around 2004, he was teaching the program as he was um, going around touring with the, the textbook. So I got to meet him at that point, took his courses and just said, hey, um, whatever you're doing, I want to be involved in that. So that's how I met up with Dr. Malillo. And um, so I came out of practice in 2005 and started working with kids after spending about a year learning from him. And that's kind of where we're at at this point. So by 2005, I started my first practice working with children. Um, in 2006, he asked me to um, be involved with the, the new venture that would, would become Brain Balance. Um, so I was the first person to actually get involved with doing Brain Balance with him. And um, between 2006 to 2008, my partners and I built the first three brain balance centers that were ever built wow. in, the, in the world and here in Atlanta. And, um, and then that, from that point on, so basically from 2005 to now, I've, I've been involved with working with kids with developmental disorders using the brain balance model that Dr. Mo has built, the Molo method, um, being able to be part of that. And um, so I have my brain balance centers, but then I also have my private practice here in Atlanta where at this point in my private practice, I really work with severe kids that are too severe for our brain balance centers, mm -hmm. um, kids that may have seizures or have had traumatic brain injuries or acquired brain injuries, um, you know, children that um, are non-speaking on the autism um, spectrum, okay? But I also work with adults. I mean, I work with a lot of, a part about 30% of my practice is working with patients that uh, sustain concussions and um, car accidents or injuries. Um, so I also work with a lot of patients that have underlying autoimmune disorders. And most of people, most women that are being diagnosed with Hashimoto's also probably have a, a autoimmune disorder to their brain. Mm -hmm. So um, it's fun because I get to kind of have my foot in everything now. And, but it's all still centered around the Malillo method, the hemispheric model, because um, if you don't understand the relationship of brain asymmetry, um, it, you're, you really don't understand how to, to treat people clinically, okay? Because people with, with even longstanding 
problems like chronic pain or autoimmunity or or psychiatric disorders into adulthood really probably go back to the, a brain asymmetry that would start developmentally. Mm -hmm. So even working with adults, we still take a, a brain-based or developmentally-based model to their healthcare. Yeah. That's the long answer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just uh, wanted just to mention for a second your mom, because yep. to find out the solution, I mean, how to treat it so many years ago, she must be such a strong mom, you know, to go against everything that she knows. I know it from my own world, how, how people think about the way, you know, I've been treating and going about therapy. Sure. sure. And oh, now, now you're going to make me cry because, uh, <laughs> you know, it's uh, both my mother and my father. I lost my father at, at 50, almost 21 years ago. And, uh, and I'm adopted. So I'm adopted from El Salvador. And um, my parents really went to great lengths to adopt me. And then, and then for me to have my own learning disability. And like you said, like, all the moms that I get to work with, all the women I get to work with, yeah. it's it's kind of a, it's fun because you I I see so many of the traits in them that I saw in my mother and yeah. and my mother's still alive and yeah. she's uh, Facebooking and Instagramming anytime I'm out lecturing or yeah. doing the tactful to uh, the people because I think that as she was helping me and getting all the right services for me and finding out and bucking the uh, you know, like you said, bucking the trend. And and I think that that's, you know, so I look at my mom and I'd always tell her that all these warrior moms that I get yeah. to work with all, all these years in my practice, like yeah. she was the first warrior mom that like really <laughs> went out there and, and really did it in a very, in a very hard way in a time when, yeah. like I said, there was no internet, there was no, you know, she, um, I was one of the first kids that were ever really did the Feingold diet. She found Ben wow. Feingold. Yes. you know, and, and really looked at his work and she was really into, um, you know, looking at applied kinesiology and looking at, you know, again, the relationship of, of, of food reactivity to, you know, she knew that foods that yeah. my sister and I would, because my, my sister and my adopted sister also had a learning disability as well. So she was dealing with both of us and, and, you know, she felt like, you know, we really, you know, had problems with our diets. And so she was very meticulous in a time when there was no books about this. No. There was no, oh. you know, it was just individual practitioners that yes. were, were, were doing this. So, um, so yeah, so to this day, she's, um, she's always out there trying to promote the work that we do and Rob does and I do. Yes. And she's our, she's our biggest cheerleader. So. Uh, wow. <laughs> and uh... Dr. Peter, what can you uh, speak about how important milestones are for normal development? Sure. Well, I mean, they're, they're the staging set of the, of the nervous system, okay? I mean, when we're, when, we're, when we're conceived, we have obviously these genes that start coding for our brain, okay? And these very specific genes that are turned on that begin to start laying down the central nervous system and, and, and the central nervous system being the brain, everything within the brain, but also the spinal cord. Um, and then we have our peripheral nervous system that is all our nerves that come out and become the extension of our, into our, our legs and in our arms um, from our spinal cord. So you have these 
different set neurological reflexes that happen in the womb that we were really preferred as primitive reflexes. These are very specific developmental steps that the brain goes through in the womb all the way through the nine months of, of development. And then they also assist with the birthing process, okay? And there are these very specific uh, reflexes that are housed in what we call the brainstem of the brain, okay? The, the little stalk of the brain. And mm -hmm. um, we have three levels of that stalk. Um, you know, when you think of the brain, there are certain parts of the brain that, that are, can be broken into levels of three, okay? And the brainstem being one of them. And, and so we have these very specific reflexes like the rooting reflex or the palmer grass reflex that allows an infant to grasp onto something immediately when they're born or um, the rooting reflex that allows them to latch onto the nipple to, to feed, okay? So these are some early reflexes. And then there are reflexes that are tied to our vestibular system, our, our, our part of our, our brain that um, or part, our sensory organ in our ear that fires into our brainstem that lets us know where our body is in space at all times. And it's also involved in a very specific amount of motor actions that we have. So we have reflexes like our asymmetrical tonic neck reflex, our symmetrical tonic neck reflex, our tonic labyrinth reflex. Um, these are reflexes that are hardwired into the vestibular system that assist the baby through um, the birthing canal, okay? Well, we know that these reflexes have to turn on in the womb and certain ones can then get turned off as the child is moving through the birth canal. And then once they, you know, obviously now come out and they're engaged with the environment, um, you start triggering some other reflexes. And these reflexes are automated functions of the nervous system mm -hmm. the first 12 to 14, 15 months of life. And this is what ultimately allows the child to then crawl, uh, creep, crawl, and then walk, okay? And, and then one of the most complex things we do in, in, in terms of brain function is bipedalism, okay? The ability to have cross-lateral walking. And this cross-lateral function then allows us to turn on more genes in our brain that then begin to develop what we call lateralization of the human brain, okay? Um, we know what, what makes the human brain so unique is the complexity of lateralization the human brain has, the asymmetry of the brain, meaning that there is asymmetrical functions of the human brain, okay? There are clear functionalities of the left brain and clear functionalities of the right brain. Um, you don't have to believe me. You don't have to believe Dr. Malillo. There's other people in the world. There's actually somebody in your neck of the woods called Ian Gilchrist, who mm, has yeah. written extensively <laughs> on brain asymmetry. He's just written a brand new book on this, okay? Um, and so this, this has an evolutionary relationship that get, goes back billions of years that we can show where not only humans, but animals and reptiles and even the smallest aspect of, of species has asymmetry, okay? So, but we have to have these genes that turn on in the womb, okay? Mm -hmm. They got to begin to code very specifically for these parts of the brain. And then once we are, are born, we trigger more genes that continue to code for this asymmetry. The problem is that we're finding out there is a lot of interference that can happen yeah. in the turning on of these genes, mm -hmm. or even when the genes get turned on, that they can be altered in, in very 
what we refer to as epigenetic relationships, okay, where environment can alter the expression of the genome, okay, and it can lead to where we have a, a change in the asymmetrical formation of the brain, okay. Um, the dominant brain that's, um, or the hemisphere that's developing for the first 36 months of life is the right hemisphere. And unfortunately, the, um, there seems to be a environmental assault that can happen or multiple environmental assaults that really can change the expression of how that right brain is developing. And that's why we can really see the onset of, of these developmental delays, regardless of what you call them, okay, whether it's you know, autism or, or persuasive developmental disorder or global delay, when you, for, for a young mom, if she has having, noticing that she's having problems with her child latching on, then there may, that might be a, a sign that there is a low muscle tone relationship, a low rooting reflex that may happen. So if a mother is out there and she's really wanting to try to breastfeed, but her child is not mm -hmm. latching on, there's a there's a there's an aspect of that, okay. Um, you know, we have an early an early reflex called the Moreau reflex. That's a fight or flight reflex that is early on. And if you go to move your child and you take your child and you move them very quickly, especially in the first three three months, and they don't do like this movement, um, that's a sign that there may be a lag in development. So there's actually signs that you can begin to see early within the first couple, you know, day, you know, within 12, 14 hours of life, you know, outside of a low APGAR score. If you have a low APGAR, APGAR, APGAR score, you can obviously begin to say, hey, there might be some, some underdevelopment that we need to watch for. But if then all of a sudden you see a child that's not rooting, that's not latching on, okay, um, you begin to sit there and go, hmm, is there a problem in, you know, some of this asymmetry? Exactly. Now, how can, what would you say, in a short way, the reason why in your centers you've been seeing so many more people in comparison to the past? Yeah, um, I mean, it's a really complex question. I mean, there's a lot of different, like I refer to these epigenetic influences, okay? Um, you know, I think that there is, you know, if you had to sum it up in a couple of things, number one, um, the westernization of the diet, you know, the, the the inflammatory diet that we're seeing um, throughout the world now, you know, we're seeing where in other countries, you know, Western diseases that wouldn't have necessarily been in, you know, traditionally even like, like, let's say China or Asia or Indonesia, you know, mm -hmm. we're now seeing like more of diabetes and, and obesity. Okay. So you're seeing a lot of chronic um, disorders that are creating a lot of inflammatory aspects. So you, you begin to start there. Is is that impacting um, these genetic relationships? Um, obviously, we've seen just a huge uptake in different medications that are being utilized. Um, you know, Dr. Mo really writes about this very extensively in his book on autism, where he you know gets into about twenty or twenty five different epigenetic markers that have been studied. In, in regards to that, um, there has been relationships with even specific drugs that that have been shown to alter the epigenetic expression. But one of the things I can say that has been really consistent that I've seen over 15, you know, or 18 plus years now of doing this is um, the bias of lateralization to the family, okay? Meaning that, that if 
women by nature tend to be more left hemisphere dominant. Okay, we've always known this for years that left women tend to score better on verbal testing early on. Okay, so there is a relationship where women tend to have a um, a more bias to their left hemisphere. Okay, um, so if that woman that is already you know probably strong and let's say um, language function or let's say they're even stronger in mathematics, okay. Um, they go on to maybe be a scientist or they go on to be, you know, a, an accountant or an engineer. Okay. Mm -hmm. Someone that's very strong in, in what we call bias to left brain act, um, functionality. And they happen to mate with a, a, another left brain dominant person. Mm -hmm. You actually can give off what we call these left hemisphere traits. Um, and again, another person in, in your neck of the woods that has really talked about this is Udafer. Um and Simon Baron Cohen. Mm -hmm. And Simon Baron Cohen years ago came out and said that is autism or autism like traits more of a geek syndrome, okay? That the more intelligent the person is. And when we think of traditional IQ, we really think of that more in the left hemisphere, okay? Um, when you look at an IQ test, there's two compartments to it there's the verbal component mm -hmm. and the nonverbal component. Um, and most people that have really high IQs, they're actually scoring very high in their verbal component, which would, again, tie them back to the left brain. Okay. Yeah. So actually, that's probably one of the major reasons is more than anything is the traits of generations now of maybe two or three, if not four generations of families mm -hmm. that are passing down these left brain traits. And at the same time, socially, economically, we're moving to a more dependent technology world, okay, where we're so dependent upon technology. And now we want to live in this virtual reality world, okay, this metaverse, okay, that is really got to do with more of the left brain and not so much the right brain. So you take the, the left hemispheric biases of the family, and then you superimpose the epigenetic mm -hmm. influences. Could you see now why worldwide yeah. why we're seeing such an explosion in these developmental disorders where learning disability disorders range about 20 to 25% of, of school age children worldwide. Okay. You know, autism is, is somewhere maybe around 3% of, of children worldwide now. Okay. Mm -hmm. ADHD somewhere between 15, you know, maybe even 15 to 20%. Okay. Or 10 to 20% yes. worldwide. Wow. So but one of the things that is fascinating that I've seen again over the again that's pretty very consistent that is that the majority of uh, families that have come to me, not only in the brain balance centers but in my private practice, and Dr. Miller would say the same thing is that most of our families are are very academically educated. Okay, mm -hmm. you know I see a lot of practitioner you know people with PhDs, mm -hmm. master's degrees, um, bachelor's degrees, and even if they don't have a secondary education, they're smart people. Okay, yeah. so they give off that lineage, and then when you start asking, "What's what's grandma and grandpa do?" Oh, grandma and grandpa are an engineer, or mm. you know, even great grandpa was an engineer. Yeah. That's where we're probably looking at these these traits. That makes sense. Yes, yes. And what is the importance of rhythm and timing on brain function and rehabilitation? Well, to be honest, it's probably everything because when we look at the brain in terms of development. A um, couple of features, okay, is that the brain has to develop bottom up, meaning that it develops from sensory input 
coming in predominantly from our proprioceptive system, okay? And our proprioceptive system is the, the different afferent sensory input from our muscles, mm -hmm. joints, our, our, what we call our joint um, receptors and our ligaments and our, and, our, and our tendons, okay? So they from our muscle system and they fire into our spinal cord and then they travel to this area called the cerebellum. And you have a right cerebellum, you have a left cerebellum. And then right on top of, you know, right next to that, there's the brainstem, okay? And, and again, the brainstem is where a lot of our, our unconscious functions of our, of our neurology is, okay? Um, a lot of our automated functions that we do, okay? Like you and I can have this conversation and at the same time, our brain is in our brainstem dealing with our, with our blood pressure, dealing with our, our, our respiratory centers, okay? So we can think. So yeah. we have these lower parts of our brain that create basically automicity in our brain. It allows us to do all these complex things. And one of the areas that, again, that we know that is in all the literature of neurodevelopment disorders that's been, been a, uh, affected is the cerebellum, okay? And the cerebellum is one of the areas that has been traditionally looked at in terms of controlling our muscle tone, okay? That's why many of the children on the on the on the spectrum of developmental disorders have hypotonia, okay, low muscle tone. Um, they have balance problems, okay. They have difficulty with motor planning, motor timing, okay, um, motor coordination, okay. Things like crossing the midline, okay, are are tough. And I know you're always posting about that. Yeah. Um, so that is generated from the cerebellum. Now, the traditional thought of the cerebellum, about probably, I would say, the early 90s, was that the cerebellum, for, for classic, classic neurology being from the late 1800s to, to the, you know, probably the 1950s, 1960s, but even past that, um, getting into 1990, um, we thought that the cerebellum mostly had functions that were, or controlled motor functions. But it wasn't really until the work of Jeremy Shamaman at Massachusetts General Hospital that really began his lab started looking at non-motor functions. And that now fast forwarding from like the early 90s and 1990s was considered the decade of the brain. Okay, the National Institution of Health in the United States um, assigns a area of research every decade. And the 1990s were called the decade of the brain. And I think it might've been that way all worldwide too. And we were able to look at with more sophistication of the brain in real time using brain imaging studies. So we went from looking at the brain statically, anatomically through MRI studies mm -hmm. to looking at it really more through functional MRI studies or more sophisticated neuroimaging that allowed us to look at the, the, the tracks of the brain or what we now what we refer to neural networks of the brain, okay? Um, prior to that, we were always looking at the brain in terms of anatomical zones, okay, the, the right cerebellum or the left temporal lobe or the right frontal lobe. And most of that was based on um, patients with brain injuries or post-mortem dissections, okay, or what happens after somebody has a stroke or um but now being able to look at brain imaging, we were able to figure out that 
the cerebellum is involved with all facets of human function, not just motor function, okay? So the, the cerebellum has all these non-functions and in terms of cognition, in terms of our affect, okay? Mm -hmm. um, so some shaman went as far as calling it CCAS, mm -hmm. cerebellum cognition affect syndrome, okay? With the idea that if you have problems in your cerebellum, you're ultimately going to have problems in your cognition, emotions. Um, now, his lab and other people have gone on to continue to prove all that. Now, where Dr. Molina had stepped in, again, around the, the late 90s and, and really looking at this when he published his textbook, is that we can even take it one step further and be even more specific about the cerebellum that you have a right cerebellum that is hardwired to the left brain. Mm -hmm. And you have a left cerebellum that's hardwired to the right brain. And it's our belief, again, from a top, from a bottom to top up design that the brain has to build bottom up, that if the right cerebellum is delayed or the right brainstem is delayed developmentally, it's gonna alter the underdevelopment of the left hemisphere. Mm -hmm. And this will show up in the form of a learning disability like me or others that have a learning disability or reading disability or maybe select mutism, okay, yeah. or have anything to really do like with a language-based disorder in terms of a verbal language-based disorder, yes. okay? If you have an underdevelopment in the left cerebellum and the left brainstem, it's going to lead to immaturity, developmental immaturity in the right side of the brain. And that's going to be more a classical autism spectrum disorder, children or children with ADHD, um, OCD, okay, um, tics, Tourette's, anxiety. So that's where the convergence of the research happened between Shamaman and others that were studying anatomical relationships. And then Dr. Mogul is not only studying that, but then saying, okay, well, is there a lateralizational pattern here? And there has been, okay. And there clearly has been. And, and I can tell you, you know, 25 plus years later, when reading through research papers, that we definitely can tell that there's a difference. So relative to rhythm and timing, the cerebellum creates that rhythm and timing, not only in the motor system, but in the cognitive pathways. And that's why we really refer to it as, as what we call motor cognitive binding or motor cognitive timing, that if there is delays in the motor system, in which the majority of these kids have mm -hmm. delays. Some have very drastic motor delays, and some of them have very small, minuscule ones. Um, and we can pick that up. We can pick that up through various technology. And I know one of the technologies that you're very much interested in is in the interactive metronome. Mm -hmm. And that allows us to pick that up, okay? And that when we look at a motor timing, so if I ask a child to listen to this reference tone that the, the, the metronome is making and then ask them to do a task like this, mm -hmm. clap your hands, okay? Yeah. Well, I need to I have motor timing from my left brain, it's controlling my right hand, my right brain, it's controlling my left hand. Mm -hmm. And then I need to have that motor timing in my auditory centers to be able to quickly identify that reference tone, okay? Mm -hmm. So when 
we have a child clapping like this, can we see right off the bat and observe is one hand arriving to midline faster? Mm -hmm. Okay. Because the brain that's more a that's more developed may drive the hand to be a little bit faster. That so there's an so they're not hitting here, they're hitting somewhere over here, over here. Okay. Or you give a child this and you say, okay, I want you to clap like this. And then they give you these different variations of movements. That's motor planning, that's motor coordination. And the great thing about the IM is it allows us to measure this in millisecond speed. Now, millisecond speed is not the speed of the brain. The speed, the brain is a lot faster. Um, the technology is only allows us to catch at that speed. But if a child has a drastic delay in that millisecond speed, let's say upwards of anything above, say, 100 milliseconds, 300 milliseconds, or 500 milliseconds from the sound of the metronome, that is a big delay in the human brain. And that delay is going to show up in the form of motor function, but more specifically, it's going to show up in the form of cognitive. How fast is the, is the brain thinking? Mm -hmm. And how often can you use the IM? Um, you can use it as often as you want. I mean, that's the benefit of the IM is that mm -hmm. you can really, you know, design it to, to stimulate different parts of the, of the brain. Okay. Obviously you want to use it hemispherically. Okay. We yes. want to use it in determining versus, you know, in, in my practice and in, even in our brain balance centers, it's part of our initial diagnostic workup. And a lot of times when you do the, the assessment, they have what they call a long form assessment. And it allows us to compare not only cross lateral movements, okay. Or motor planning together, like hands like this or alternating feet, but then we can compare using only the right side of the body versus the left side of the body. And a lot of times that you can see the asymmetry in brain that you may see a child, let's say a child that has a, a learning disability or dyslexia or, you know, some type of language impairment. Um, you know, they're more likely to probably have struggles when they use their right arm or their right leg. And you may see a millisecond average that is 300 milliseconds or 400 milliseconds. But then when they go to use their left side of their, their body that's under the control of their right brain, which is more developed, mm -hmm. you may see only a millisecond average of 60 milliseconds. So the lower the number is the closer you are to the reference tone. Okay. So anytime you're using the interactive metronome, you're hearing this reference tone, mm -hmm. usually beating at 54 reps per minute. Yeah. And then the, the patient is asked to time it, okay? Time the tone. Can you clap with the tone? Can you clap exactly? And you're getting this millisecond response. Um, anything below 40 milliseconds um, is considered pretty good. When you're 15 milliseconds to zero milliseconds, you're dead on with the reference tone. So again, the lower the number, the closer you are to being in time with the reference tone. And so it's a great tool to pick up lateralization, okay? Uh -huh. You can run a whole 12 different data points. And at the end, you can look at is how asymmetrical the brain is. You can also look at the difference between upper body movements versus lower body movements. But I can tell you after, you know, probably roughly 10,000 kids that, you know, I, that, um, that between my brain balance centers and my own practice over 18 years, plus the fact that, all the brain balance centers in the United States that 
that were started by, you know, in cooperation with Dr. Malolo, um, you know, we probably see about 60 to 70,000 kids per year in all those centers in the United States. And then all the, the practitioners that are learning from Dr. Malolo over the past 20 years that are using the IM, they're all reporting. And even when we did the Harvard study and we just did the Harvard study that I was a part of with Dr. Malolo and, and the team there, um, the, the interactive metronome was one part of the major study. And we were able to pick up on the asymmetry. So it's a really cool way if a parent or someone who you know might be learning this, this hemispheric model to be able to pick up the asymmetry that's there, okay? That you'll clearly see it a lot of times where one side of the of the movements are are clearly delayed or or there is a motor planning or motor timing issue. Uh -huh. And in the results, did you see a big difference between and children who were in office rather than children at home? Um, well, it was an interesting thing. When we did the Harvard study, we didn't actually send the kids to our brain balance center. Um, we actually had them do the IM at home. We had them use an IM home unit, and we were able to really show that even doing it at home under the guidance of doing very specific yeah. hemispheric protocols that we were able to show the changes in functional MRI studies. Um, so this is, you know, again, this study is being in its final preparation to be published hopefully by the end of the year. Um, mm -hmm. But there's been other studies that Dr. Mull um, has published where we showed the benefit of the IM in increasing academic skills, increasing motor planning, motor timing skills, um, but then also dampening the symptomatology. Um, you know, now there are other practitioners worldwide that use the IM. There are other speech language pathologists and OTs. Um, yeah. The bigger thing that we're trying to, to educate, um, Dr. Mullen and I, is to get them to utilize more hemispheric specific protocols. Yes. Okay. Um, and then when, when you're using the IM, you're not only using the IM, but you're doing other hemispheric protocols simultaneously. Okay. That we might be utilizing um, sensory visual sensory stimulation to the, the weaker hemisphere. Um, you might be using um, sensory, somatosensory, tactile stimulation or, um, through vibration or TENS units to stimulate the weaker hemisphere. You know, the most important take home here, I, I wanna make sure that, you know, all the, you know, the families that are listening to this, that when you look at neurodevelopmental disorders, you have to figure out the asymmetry, okay? Yeah. Now there are a certain population of children that are unfortunately born with an underdevelopment, global underdevelopment. Mm -hmm. um, but typically, even in that case, like I work with a lot of children that are being diagnosed with very specific types of genetic disorders now. Mm -hmm. um, about 15 years ago, 20 years ago, these genetic disorders may have been diagnosed persuasive developmental delay or global developmental delay. Now they're being you know, described with a very specific genetic disorder, okay? Um, I'm working with um, children that have the purer gene, okay? And the purer gene, um, one, causes a tremendous amount of seizure activity in children, but it also causes a lot of motor delays. Um, most of the children that I've seen with the purer gene are wheelchair-bound, okay? Um, cannot walk. You know, they do not have ambulation, okay? So, but even in those children, you see, can see an asymmetry in development, okay? Uh -huh. So the most important thing is is really first find the asymmetry, Okay. <laughs> find the fact that we have to move people past the diagnoses. I was just talking to a family member, 
parent I'm working with um, from Michigan before I jumped on with you. And um, again, her, her older son has selective mutism and we're trying to just reframe her from referring it to as ADHD or selective mutism or OCD or autism, yeah. but really start referring to as which hemisphere is delayed. And once you know which hemisphere is delayed, it, it, it becomes a lot easier in terms of treatment, okay? That you could actually treat into the asymmetry. Exactly. And what's the easiest way for a family who wants to work with the IM? Um, well, one of the best ways is number one is to find practitioners that are certified in the IM, okay? Um, I know the IM does uh, certifications. Again, the interactive metronome is, is, a, if, is based here in the US. It's a Florida company. Um, and they are constantly holding um, seminars for training practitioners. Um, and so a lot of times you can get on the interactive metronomes um, site and you can go and, and, and look up a practitioner and, and find if a practitioner in your country um, is, is trained. Um, and then the next thing from there would be trying to maybe find out whether or not that practitioner has been trained in the Malolo method by Dr. Malolo yeah. or an I, and because that would be the next step. I mean, because you know most IM certified practitioners um, may just do it the way IM wants you to do it, as opposed to the way Dr. Malolo and I would want to do it. Yeah. And again, we would do it in a in a in a in a total concert of a hemispheric model, where my yeah. brain balance centers would do it, and then you know anybody that's practicing. The Malolo method that's been taught by Dr. Malolo and I, especially in the last you know decade, would would definitely be doing it very specifically hemispherically because that's really what's going to matter. Yeah, is is the hemispheric aspect of it. And can families work remotely with you? Yeah, I work with families. I work with uh, many families in your country. I've worked with families in South Africa. I've worked with families in um, Dubai and Indonesia, and um, you know I have some families right now. Um, that I'm, I'm working in a bit from the Middle East. And, and so, yeah, so it, it's, it's very exciting because a lot of times we can, we can get them some of the technology mm -hmm. and then we can ship them. I mean, it's a little bit more expensive post COVID <laughs> than it was, but, but, you know, um, we can get the interactive metronome to them. We can get some of the other supportive technology to them, to work with them and, um, remotely. Um, again, most of the families that I do work remotely with are, that are, are, are really, you know, kids that have a lot of profound developmental delay. I mean, um, you know, I'm working with a, a lot of, one of the areas that I've been doing over the last decade or so is working with a lot of young adults, okay? Because, um, you know, I, I, the prevailing wisdom for a lot of families, unfortunately, has been promoted to where that once they get to 15 or 16 or 18, that's the best you're going to get out of them. Yes. And uh, I'll be honest, I'll, that, you know, for a better part, almost a decade now, I've been working with a lot of kids 18 and up. And um, regardless of diagnosis, whether it's yeah. moderate autism to severe autism yeah. to selective mutism, yes. um, the, 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 the boy I was referring to, he's 21 years old. So he's really not a boy, the young adult. And we're seeing very dramatic changes with him in the last, you know, four or five months. And we've been working remotely with him. Yes. Um, and so um, I've worked with other family. You know, I worked with a couple of years ago with a, a 22 year old, um, high, um, I would say moderate autism, but extreme OCD in the UK. And, you know, we're really able to, he went from 
reading on a, a pre-K level to reading on a fourth grade level, oh, wow. you know, at 23 years old and, yes. and being able to have all these um, ADLs, these activities of daily life that he could do. I mean, he, yes. he would never, before working with him, would never walk, open up the refrigerator and decide to pick out what he would want to make and go yes. make his sandwich. He was always so dependent on his mom yes. to do this. Or, and so now he can go and, and make his own sandwich. And she would notice that um, they'd go for walks around the little town they live in outside of uh, London. And um, she would um, say that all of a sudden he would be noticing things or he would interact with you know people that he would see because they'd make this walk for years, especially during COVID. Yeah. Um, and, and so the benefit of never giving up, I mean, that's one of the things that I want to make sure that our listeners hear, that yeah. even if you have a child that is, you know, a young adult at 17 and 18, and yeah. you're exhausted, and you're tired, and your bank account's exhausted and everything, <laughs> but there is still hope, okay? exactly. and especially when done in this hemisphere-specific yes. way, yeah. um, and that's, that's, I hope one day, my, and my biggest goal and dream, and, and now is to one day see Dr. Noel get a Nobel Prize for his work because I yes. really believe that what he's done and when you have people like Ian McGilchrist and others writing books that only validate what he said. Yes. I mean, if you read the two new books, the new book that Ian McGilchrist wrote is 800 pages. 400 mm -hmm. pages of that is dedicated to hemispheric specialization. And then his previous book that he wrote in 2012 was about five, about another six, 700 pages. And about 400 pages of that book was brain asymmetry. Yes. So the scientific community is talking about brain asymmetry. Okay. And not only brain asymmetry and childhood development disorders, but Dr. Mullen and I just spent this past weekend together in Dallas, Texas, talking about brain asymmetry relative to schizophrenia and bipolar and addiction yes. disorders. Okay. And that again, most mental health disorders in adults probably started back Those. developmentally yes. from a brain asymmetry that was maybe diagnosed, but not treated correctly. Okay. Maybe yes. that adult was told that they had ADHD or knew they had ADHD, yes. but no one treated the asymmetry. So, um, so the reality of it is now is if we can get more and more people talking about brain asymmetry and related to brain health and related to, because I, I, as I started the conversation earlier about, I a third of my population of, of women are my um, former brain balance mothers that came to me, you know, 10, 15 years later that now have autoimmunity. And, and when I start looking at their brain asymmetry, you know, they've had, you know, left brain delays, and that promote certain autoimmunities. And then if they have a right brain delay, they have certain autoimmunities, okay? So it's really, again, getting back to this brain asymmetry. And that's that's the most important thing. Yeah, and I think your message is so important, you know, never to give up. And especially with young adults and families, you know, have to cope with violence and all kinds of stuff like that. So yeah. never give up. Yeah, never give up. And, and and I've seen cases where, you know, uh, these young adults, they've been on various medications, they've been on, you know, you know, very strong, um, you know, psychiatric medications, okay, they've been on strong um, other sleep aids and everything. And then all of a sudden, you start changing their, their brain asymmetry, 
yes. they can come off you know, a large percentage of their meds or they're no longer taping, taking their sleep aids, okay? Um, you know, we've, we've been able to make, you know, really dramatic changes. And, you know, again, these young adults that I'm, I'm working with, their parents aren't asking me to resolve everything. They're asking, can, can we make a better quality life? You yes. know, what happens if I'm not here, okay? Yes. For those families that don't necessarily have the benefits of loved ones that may be able to take on their child if they were to, to pass away, okay? There's a lot of circumstances like that where families don't have um, or an older sibling that can take on that. So yes. what happens is that, does that child be, now become the ward of, of their their providence or their state, okay? Or do they end up in a, you know, adult assisted living facility or something? So what can we do to improve their functionality? Um, and I know that's a big emphasis of, of Dr. Malou because originally when he, we started our journey with, with brain balance, um, uh, you know, 15 plus years ago, the we were really working with mostly the population of, of four-year-old to about 15, and four-year-old being mostly high-functioning autism, learning disability, dyslexia, and and that 14 to 15 population. So we really weren't working with 16 and up, and we weren't working with the really young peds. Um, so in our private practices, both Dr. Mole and I, that's what really what we work with. We work with you know, a lot of the young children that are one beyond severity, they're moderate or, or severe autism, they're non-speaking, mm -hmm. um, or they're younger than three and a half and they're, we're trying to do early intervention, or we're working with these older kids that are really aggressive, they're non-speaking, they, they, they now they develop very aggressive behaviors or they have very um, pronounced obsessive compulsive mm -hmm. types of, of symptomatology that's that's really holding them back on a day-to-day -day level yeah. um so but we're both we've really been doing this now for many years um i don't run my centers i have teams that run my centers so yeah. I'm, I'm very fortunate that you know since 2015 for a better part of seven years now i've had you know private practice that really again work you know working with kids that are too severe for our centers and, and young adults and, and adult care as well. And, and so again, but doing it in this hemispheric model, being able to make a difference. Yeah. So how can people contact you? Um, the easiest way to, is actually to find me on Instagram. Follow me on Instagram at uh, Dr. Peter Skyer um, on Instagram, on Facebook as well. Um, that's the easiest way to, to contact me. And then if they will send me a message to either Facebook or Instagram, um, as you know, I will follow back up and yeah. and, uh, and reply and you'll get a personal reply from me. And um, and that's the easiest way, you know, um, I don't really have a, a sophisticated website. I just have deal with social media because mostly everybody's on social media in the world yes. today. So, um, so yeah, that's the best way to, to get out in touch with me. And, um, you know, then from there, we generally do, um, you know, a, a, a virtual consultation where we can really get into the 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 individuality of, of the, the child or the adult. Um, and it's fun because having the ability to do both um, types of cases um, makes the practice unique. I mean, I'm not, you yeah. know, for a long, a better part of a decade, I was stuck working in, 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 in children and, and I loved working with them, but getting to bounce in between children and adults is, is, a, is a lot of fun. And especially these, like we said, these, these 18 to 25 year old 
young adults where their parents were on the verge of giving up. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and I think there's a lot more, because when you start looking at the statistics now, when you start looking at the decade increases of these developmental disorders, there was a huge spike around the early 90s, okay? Well, those kids that were born in the early 90s are now in their middle 20s, okay? So I think all countries and all states and provinces and, and towns are really going to have to address this tsunami that's coming yes. where every decade, you know, the 90s was a huge spike, the, the 2000s, early 2000 to 2010 was another huge spike. Then 2010 to now was an even bigger spike. And now that we're in the the the, the, early, the 20th decade of the, you know, of, okay, so if we don't start as a community recognizing that we have more and more of these young adults that are going to need these type right. of, uh, of rehabilitation services, okay. um, we're going to, we're going to have a large population of of young adults or, or that are or that are not functioning in in their day to day life, yes. um, or the ADHD children that can't um, function at their jobs. I mean, I'm I'm 46, and a lot of my friends that I hang out with are middle managers in different companies or upper senior managers in companies, and they're talking. They're always talking to me about Pete. You know, what can I do for these 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 20 some odd year old, you know, you know, new hires or or even late 20 year old, early 30. I mean, the millennial, the millennial generation is no longer that young millennial generation. Yeah. It's actually millennials are now in their late 20s and can be considered early 30s. Yeah. And so that wave of children um, that are now, you know, you know, decade plus into their adulthood that are really, again, now we're seeing more anxiety disorders showing up, okay? You're seeing more of the OCD disorders. You're starting to see all these mood disorders show up, okay? But they're unresolved brain asymmetries that, even in this day and age, still can be treated okay. um, effectively in a non-pharmacological way. Yes, and if people from Europe come over, do you have an intensive week? Yeah, I do. I do do some intensives, um, um, but usually what I do a lot of times is I work with you know the patient remotely for a while, mm -hmm. and and then if they want to come over, then we can do intensives here. Um, I've had people fly in and uh, again, being in Atlanta and only being about 20 minutes from the airport, 25 minutes from the airport, um, you know, getting from Europe and even getting from Australia and Africa has been easy for families because, you know, especially, you know, hop on a Delta flight and you can pretty much get to Atlanta in, in, no, in no, no time. So it's, it's, um, it's actually very easy for um, Europeans to get to me um, because of being um, Atlanta is actually considered the busiest airport in the world. So wow. it's pretty easy to get to Atlanta from um, from the Europe. So, okay, Dr. Peter, thank you so much for for the time, and I really hope that we'll be able to help as many young adults as possible. Absolutely, and and again, I really believe that if um, people need to, you know, get connected with you know myself or Dr. Malillo or any of our Malillo method trained practitioners. I mean, again, I know we've trained quite a bit of practitioners in Europe. I know um, our hope is that Dr. Malillo and I were going to get to Europe next year and, and be able to teach again in, in Europe and try to increase uh -huh. the amount of practitioners that are in the UK. And I know there are 
you know, practitioners in the UK doing the work and, and um, you know, in other parts of Europe as well. So even if they don't have to travel, um, they can work remote with me. And then also, you know, I can maybe get them connected to somebody that's doing the work that we, that we trust and we know that is doing the work appropriately. Um, you know, for those who haven't gone out and gotten the Disconnected Kids book, you know, Dr. Malolo's Disconnected Kids book about his model, um, the autism book, if they want to know specifically more about autism, to read that. If they want to know more about nutrition and its relationship to brain, read his, um, his book on, uh, on nutrition. Dr. Malolo wrote four books, four popular books. He wrote the Disconnected Kids book, which I do now understand that um, Penguin has asked him to write a dirt edition of that. So mm -hmm. he's going to be working on that and probably have that published in the next, you know, maybe two years. Um, so you have the second edition of the Disconnected Kids book. You have the Reconnected Kids book. You have the Autism book. And then you have the book on um, brain, um, brain asymmetry and nutrition that he wrote. Okay. And then for learners who want to get out there and really want to learn about more of the academic science, um, you know, parents can take some of his his um, web, you know, his coursework as well remotely. Um, parents can also go to his website and, or even reach out to me and um, look at all the research. You know, Dr. Mola now is probably becoming one of the most published researchers, not only on the theoretical model of what is happening in the brain, but also from a treatment model. Okay. And that's a big thing is that, you know, there's very few, there's a lot of disciplines out there working with children like OT and SLPs and others, but very few of them actually have bona fide research and research that's being published in what we refer to top medical journals worldwide. Okay. So he just had a research paper published in Frontiers in, of, of Neurology. Okay. He's got a couple other, he was just in Paris um, presenting work um, at the Movement and Cognition um, Conference that is you know, an eight-year eight-year conference that is always held in some of the top conference um, universities in the world. I know it's going to be held in London next year. Okay, yes. so um, so again, I want people to understand that his work is is being accepted at the highest level in research, not only on a theoretical model but now on a clinical model to support what we're saying. And so we do feel that we have the best approach. We do feel that we have the 30 some odd years of, of clinical work. It's not only me and him. I mean, we've taught thousands of pr practitioners. We have over hundred centers in the United States using his model. We have parents reading his book. I know, you know, reading his book and applying his, his knowledge and, and then showing people on Instagram how, you know, we're <laughs> utilizing his, his model. Yeah. And, and that's how you build an army and that's how you change the world. And we're all part of, of changing this 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 mindset and and hopefully educating um, the medical community about that hey there is a scientific yes. model that is proven to work beyond the scope of neuropharmacology. Yes. So I hope that's the biggest message that people can can take home today. It so. is. It is. Thank you so much again. Absolutely, it's been a pleasure. I okay. really enjoyed it. All right. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'll talk Stick to you soon. To, yes. Bye-bye. All righty. Bye-bye.